Hello and welcome to Podiatry Practice Mastery. My name is Don Pelto and I have Dr. Ben Pearl here. Welcome, Ben. Hey, thanks, Don. Yeah, Good to be nice, back. Nice to have you back. And today we're going to focus all about orthotics and, and also biomechanics, because I think that's a passion of yours. So, you know, let's let's kind of dive right in. What I'm really excited about is you're going to talk today about kind of these little things that we can modify in our practice, implementing these little things of biomechanics and kind of make big changes with our patients. So tell me a little bit about this upcoming conference and your shoe tips and where do you want to start? Yeah, let's start with just biomechanics in general. I think that podiatry is losing a little bit of ground to the sports industry health gurus. So. Um, what I mean by that is that there are a lot of podiatrists like you and I that are curious, and then there are also a lot of podiatrists that are in the algorithm of what they learn from Merton Root and Weed, and there's nothing wrong with some of those precepts as a starting point, but we've evolved so much into the marriage of shoe, foot, orthotic, sock, all those things come together in a, in a seven layer cake to make the, the result in terms of friction fit, um, balance, stability. And I think that that's where podiatry needs to hone back in, start reading more articles, start attending more things like the seminar you're putting here on today. You know, listen to those snippets. Don't listen just to podiatry, listen to some of the biomechanics uh, information that is out there in biomechanics land, be it an ONP person, be it a biomechanics PhD like Ben Onig, uh, be it uh, a podiatrist from another country that may have a different bent like Simon Bartold or uh, Simon Spooner or, you know, many others that are, that are out there. So I think that if we look at doing things in a stepwise fashion. And this is, this is like a precept right out of uh, Richard Blake's playbook. You know, he just wrote a, a very uh, lucid book, uh, Practical Biomechanics for the Podiatrist. You couldn't get any more elegantly simple than that in that if we take the variables that we have and add one small variable at a time, we will then know, right, what biomechanically we did to make the change. Yeah. And, and so I, I think these are great. And I think a lot of us are probably like me, you're a little bit more advanced in biomechanics. How does someone, I'm, I'm thinking like we're all, I think that one of the biggest changes we've gone so surgical, right? We don't, we, we do mostly surgery. A lot of we're trained surgical, right? We're not trained in biomechanics in our residencies. So if someone wants to kind of shift things back and you mentioned a lot of great names, but I'm a busy podiatrist, you know, seeing my 30 patients a day. Is there a, is there a resource? I know there's this conference coming up. Like what, what do you do or what should a podiatrist do? Cause we don't have all this time. We're like maybe reading this between patients. So what are some good tips? Yeah. I think like you say, identifying professionals that are interested in disseminating information that is a balanced approach. Yep. So look at the, look at the agenda, look at the faculty, make sure that it is not just to promote uh, an AFO, for instance. There's nothing wrong with a good uh, based lecture that talks about AFOs, I applaud that. 
It's just that we want to make sure that we're approaching both the pros and cons of the various orthopedic Realities. appliances that, yeah. we're, that we're using. For instance, um, let's say an AFO, we all know uh, we've had our Medicare age population come in with an AFO that they got from, let's say, another uh, podiatrist or hanger labs or some other uh, prosthetic uh, source that has been sitting in the closet. So what we have to determine is, number one, we're looking at the patient right in front of us. Do they have the skill set to apply the brace properly? Are they going to use it more than just, you know, for the time frame that you teach them to how to apply it in your office? And is this going to be a six-month measure or a long-term measure? And then, of course, it gets down also to making sure when we dispense them, just from a practical standpoint, that we take into mind the same and similar. If they've had a cam boot, for instance, we then have to enter the discussion of even though this may be better for you, Mrs. Jones, we see that you've had a cam boot, this may be a problem. And then it's up to you to determine, do you want to just give them an ABN or are you going through the appellate levels and, and um, documentation that will be required to get that device that you want covered, be it an ankle brace or some type of AFO. One of the things that uh, I just picked up from a colleague of mine just recently, um, I like this idea of not just deferring to a cam boot for offloading uh, the ankle or a fracture. So let's say we have a stable fracture. We know that when we put a cam boot on, we're gonna have an inequity there with, with the leg legs. So, and I have no affiliation with these folks whatsoever, but I really like the idea of this Taco uh, brace that is external to the shoe. Mm -hmm. So instead of having a differential of let's say half an inch, three quarters of an inch, whatever the cam boot differential is an inch. Now you have minimal because it's a, it's an external skeleton that goes around the shoe. And we've also taken out some of the uh, compliance issues with having something internal in the shoe where now you have something you're jamming into the shoe creating more volume and now it becomes a shoe fit issue yeah in some so cases I, that's a that's a that's a great that's a great tip you had some other kind of real practical biomechanical tips you were going to like what you use every day in the office what are some of those other other tips you talked about a, a, a ball or some things like that what are those things yeah yeah i'm gonna uh, review those i just wanted to finish with one little caveat that um that i think people should understand when we wear a cam boot or one of these takeover braces, when we're talking about offloading, offloading vertically, we're really, as measurements go with those devices, offloading approximately 30%. That's supported in the literature. So just bear in mind that although you're offloading, it's not like 100% offload with those devices. So even though people think in their mind, oh, cam boot is the gold standard, we're really only offloading 30% on the, you know, the vertical forces going through the, uh, the foot and ankle. As far as some of the things that so, um, no, I now use we're gonna, every... 
we're going to go down this. Okay. Now if we're going to go down this. We're going to go even more. So do you have any good options? So I've, I've been struggling with this. Like a lot of my patients, I see, let's say posterior tibial tendonitis, peroneal tendonitis, even plantar fasciitis. I don't want to put them into a cam boot. I'm going to do shockwave on them. Okay. But then I want to offload it. So I've tried like a velocity brace to offload a little bit, um, which is like kind of a non-custom AFO. But I would love to have an offloading brace that worked really well that would put the pressure into the lower leg and offload the fascia or these tendons during the course of the shockwave. Do you have anything that works great as a non-custom or custom that you use frequently? I would say that um, I'm very eager to see what the compliance rate will be with the Taco brace Tico, because I yeah. think it's lighter uh, and, and from a standpoint of compliance they've actually worked with uh, some of the um, workman's comp folks that don't have um, for instance uh, OSHA OSHA will restrict them with a cam boot to return to the workplace mm. but they've actually now been able to get these takeo braces and it's an example of one brace there's other braces out yeah. there that aren't exactly the same in terms of the offload. Does it, does it offload um, more I, than 30% or is it only 30% at offload? No, it's, 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 it's a 30%, it's a 30 uh, brace. Yeah. I was talking to this gentleman, I interviewed him a while ago, I forgot which one it was, he's in Colorado, but it, it's a brace that almost offloads 80 to 90% to the lower leg. And uh, I, I don't know, I, don't, I haven't found anyone locally, like Hanger doesn't do it for me. They were a local lab that did it for them. I just thought that was a neat yeah, idea. There are, there are other braces that offload more. Those are going to be a compliance issue because they're more restrictive. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so we've heard of things like crow braces and other things that are very, um, you know, they encumber the limb. So sometimes it's, it's so, uh, I guess, non uh, uh, friendly for patients to wear that they they defer out of that. Yeah, um, yeah. There are little things though that we can do within uh, the shoe to use, for instance, let's just say a shoe that has a nice roller. This is a Zellero shoe. Mm -hmm. uh, so this I this is like a tank. I mean, so we, we used to th be thinking about uh, shoes like the Brooks Beast or the New Balance 980 as, you know, our best support shoes. But the fact of the matter is that, uh, and I'll see if we can uh, grab the cutaway uh, on that Zellero shoe. The nice thing about that, it's got a carbon uh, Morton's extension built into the actual sole of the shoe. So not only does it have the roller, okay, but it's got uh, an inner carbon layer uh, that helps propulsion as, and, and built as a Morton's extension. And this is a cutaway of the shoe. It's a brilliant design. And I actually borrowed this idea because well, not everybody so you would has- use that for what, Halix Limitus for- Yes, yes. Okay. Recovering uh, sub, uh, predislocation syndrome, submet two. Uh -huh. uh, recovering stress fracture, recovering Halix fracture. You know, so these things that don't uh, require fixation or if they do require fixation, you're now in week two. and. Let me tell you something. I think as long as there's not swelling, once the stitches are out, I would bet you that this is going to be a lot more supportive than a surgical shoe. Hmm. Good idea. That's good. Now, good. as far as price point, we're now approaching, um, you know, with gas being what we're getting up into what 575 a gallon. Mm -hmm. So, so now 
we've got economic pressures on patients. That's why I came up with a, a concept that I call small ball. So let's just get a base hit or a, or a double instead of trying to get the home run all the time with like we were talking before a colostiotomy, a triple. Who has time now to take out of their, you know, their, their, their kid has just got over COVID and, you know, the other kids struggling with the IB program or AP program in school. And so our, you know, we, we have to be there for our kids and for our, for our extended families, et cetera. So here's, for example, um, something that I design, it's called the turf toe splint, but it's mm -hmm. really more about using it for something like hallux limitus, mm -hmm. uh, because that's much more common for our practices than turf toe. So the premise is not to stop the range of motion, but to slow down that torque, slow down that moment. And then also to get compression, because this is like a, a compressive mitten-like device. And then in doing so, being adhered to the foot, I've had patients tell me that it feels like their, their big toe is now like Wolverine's toe, like that it's like one long bone instead of a segmented hmm. uh, IPJ or MTP, that it gives them a sense that they're now getting a full uh, linear axis of strength through the whole toe joint. So that's, that's another example of something that I use every day. I'm gonna show uh, another example, and there's great places to get these. I get mine from Jill's. Uh, these carbon plates. Yep. So it's it's such an easy thing to use, and yet, how many people actually stock these in their in their office? And I, by the way, I'm all about getting the patient better. So if a patient doesn't have, uh, um, let's say, forty bucks or whatever, whatever you decide to sell these carbon plates for the pair, if it's just in one foot, why not just sell them one, and just keep that that other one for the next you know, size 10 patient. So I think if we open up our paradigm uh, and approach to not be a one size fits all for our patients, we can then customize and get more patient compliance, you know, both from a, from a, a what it feels like standpoint and also an economic and realistic standpoint for application. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Hey, we're, we're coming uh, towards the, a little bit of the end here um, in terms of time for us. Tell me a little bit about this, this, how you guys put together this kind of biomechanics workshop or this uh, tell me a little bit about this. And, and if people are considering and they want to learn more about biomechanics, who would this be good for? Yeah, this is actually good from student resident, all the way up to seasoned practitioner. Because Don, there's so much new that's coming out. If you look at um, magazines like Lower Extremity Review, the biomechanics journals, especially things that are being published in the UK and Australia, there's just so much going on. And why do they focus on it more over there? Because they're not as surgically focused. Yep. Uh, they don't do as much surgery. I'm sure there's some surgeons, I'm gonna offend somebody, there might be some Australian surgeons, but it's just not as prevalent uh, as it is here in the US. So even in so far as things like the subtalar joint neutral, Ben Onig talks about how it's very difficult to measure this. It's not that we have to throw that concept out the window, but there are other things. Let's think about not just what it looks like, kinetics, 
but, uh, kinem kinematics, excuse me, but what the torque forces are through the joint. Benno uh, has published a study where he found that you can do various wedges in shoes. And for some people, those medial and lateral wedges will influence uh, the knee into a uh, more of a valgus moment. And that same, uh, in, in another patient, it'll in, induce a varus moment and more torque through the, the outside of the knee. So because, because we're multi-segmented, we cannot just have our eyes on the feet. As uh, Richard Blake, Dr. Richard Blake notes, he starts from the head. He starts looking at head tilt. He looks at shoulder drop. How does that affect the lumbar? Then we've got a referral to our uh, osteopathic, uh, chiropractic, orthopedic, back doctor colleagues, you know, detecting something in the hip or the back. So it's all connected. And I think that what someone is going to get out of this seminar is more connectivity, more assurance and validation that what they're doing is the correct protocol. And it's going to change their mind about a few things based on the evidence that's out there. That's great. Uh, underneath this, I'm going to be putting just the information. If, you, if you're listening to it, it's coming up in June, but then there'll be information about probably the replay and things like that, where that'll be at in the future. So good. Yeah. And you can email me directly at arlingtonfoot at gmail.com and you can get more information and, and make a decision if you want to uh, uh, sit in virtually. And we will be uh, offering a edited uh, a version after the fact that will be a, a, a pay-per-view just because we want to encourage people to participate live. Oh, cool. Cool. So that's, that's, a, that's a benefit then. So yeah, I'm going to be sending out this tweet to the list and see what people say and to see if anyone's interested. And it's great. You know, I, I think the trend now, what I feel is people are giving stuff for free for people that want to be present in kind of the early adopters. And then those that maybe are too busy, which is a lot of us, then for a small fee, you can watch it afterwards, have access forever. And I think that's a great way of doing it for, for people giving out that information. So thanks, Ben. I appreciate your, your tips here and I'll put your information underneath this video. And I appreciate your enthusiasm and uh, energizing me for my uh, lunch hour. <laughs> thanks, okay. thanks again, Don. Yep. All right.